We started a series last week on what you should do when your plans seem hindered. What should you do when your plans seem hindered? We're using 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 from verse 1, and we're reading, skipping some of the verses there. It reads as follows, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing your, ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel didn't come to you in word only, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in much often assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you have become followers of us and of the Lord Jesus Christ, having received word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. So these believers in Thessalonica had received preaching from Paul, and it's obvious that Paul, Silas, and Timothy worked in this area. And uh, these believers received God's word, but Paul says they received God's word in much affliction. We need to understand, Barcelona, that God has never promised us that our walk with God will be an easy one. God has never said that when you start being a follower of Christ, that your life will be an easy one. Life being life, it will always present us with good and bad alike. Life being life, we will always have challenges. But the good thing is that in Christ, we are more than conquerors. Can I hear an amen? Tell your neighbor who didn't say anything. Why are you here if you're not going to say amen? Just ask them. Other people which could have been sitting in your seat and then you're not saying anything. Just tell them right now for me. <laughs> Verse 17. Paul says, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you, for a short time, in presence, not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly to see you, your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? It is not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, for you are our glory and our joy. So Paul is saying to these Christians in Thessalonica, we've been wanting to come to you, but Satan hindered us. But he says, even if we are not with you in person, we have you in our hearts. And Paul is saying, even if I couldn't come in person, I'm writing this letter to you. So in other words, even if I couldn't be with you physically, even if my plans have been hindered, I've made sure that I don't cave in to what Satan is doing. Paul had left Thessalonica abruptly when we read in Acts 17. He had stayed there very briefly, and when he left, it looks like these believers in Thessalonica went back and reverted back to paganism. And because there was no external support to these young Christians, they caved into to paganism and they also were greatly challenged by mild persecution. And so Paul writes to them for several reasons, to encourage them in their trials. He writes to them to instruct them about godly living. Number three, he writes to them to urge them 
not to neglect daily work. And number four, he writes to them to give them assurance concerning the future of the believers. And Paul had sent his companions to go back to Thessalonica and because he had tried to go, he had experienced obstacles. And so Paul is saying, we've tried to come back. We wanted to come back to you, even I, Paul, but Satan hindered us. Somebody say Satan hindered us. Satan. Have you ever pursued something that you believed was God's will for you? Yet obstacles seem to keep you from doing what you thought you are supposed to do. And Paul is quite explicit in saying Satan hindered us. He uses this expression because I believe this expression is an important one. Number one, that word hindered in Greek is the word engopto. Somebody say don't engopto me. <laughs> he said Satan engopted us. And this word engopto means to cut in. That is figuratively to impede, to detain, to hinder, or to be tedious unto. Almost like when you are driving down the road and some car engoptos you. And somebody cuts in in front of you. Paul uses this word to describe the hindering forces that kept him from going to Thessalonica. There's no doubt that he tried to go there not once, not twice, but more than that. But his journey became filled with danger and unexpected bumps and obstacles and ungoptos that Paul had to turn back. He had to go around and he had to rethink his strategy how he's going to get to Thessalonica. I want to encourage somebody here. If your vision has been engoptot, if what you are doing has been engoptot, don't cave in to Satan hindering you. Find another way. Can I hear an amen in the house? And Paul says, even if I can't be there physically, I will write a letter. Even if I can't see you physically, I have you in my heart. Even if I can't meet you physically, spiritually, I'm connecting with you. Paul is saying, if you have something that God has told you to do, if you have a mission and if you have a vision, don't allow any hindrance to stop you. Yeah. Unfortunately, we see many of God's people giving up because they've been engulfed. And they gave up. Secondly, that word engopto also means it's used in, a, in an athletic sense. It was used to portray the moment when a runner comes alongside another runner and literally elbows them out of the race. So in other words, even if the second runner, the, the first runner was running a good race and they were going to be the first one to cross the finish line, another runner joins them, shoves them out of the way, aggressively so. As a result of this action, this runner who has been elbowed loses their leading edge that they previously had. See, there are sometimes when Satan engulfs us and we lose our leading edge. We lose our passion, we lose our commitment, we lose our dedication, we lose our focus, we lose our vision, we stop what we were doing, and we stop everything. And Paul says, even if Satan is elbowing me out of the way, I'm not going to allow myself to be elbowed out of the way. If it means having to crawl to the finish line, I will crawl to the finish line. In short, Satan un Paul understood Satan's tricks. Because Satan had tried to make use of dangerous, unexpected bumps along the way to throw Paul off track, to elbow him out of his spiritual race. 
In fact, when you read, you note that Paul was convinced that Satan had specifically engineered unforeseen forces, unanticipated hassles to keep him from getting to the Thessalonians church. So there are times when there will be unforeseen hassles, there will be unanticipated hassles that will come your way. And so Paul uses these two ideas. He says, Satan so hindered me so that there is an impasse. It's a position of no escape. He's trying to create a deadlock. He is severely trying to prohibit me where I need to go. He is so aggressively and so unkindly elbowing me out, out of my spiritual race. But I have found another path. I have found another strategy. I have found another way. I'm going to make it work no matter how hard it is. No matter how long it takes, I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make it work. Even if I crawl there, I will crawl over the finish line. Even if I have to limp, I will limp over the finish line. Even if I have to be carried, I will be carried over the finish line. Do we have people who are saying that? Whatever I have to do. Whatever I have to do. And we need to have that spirit coming out from the lockdown. Because many of our plans have been engulfed. Many of the things we are trying to do, we were elbowed out of the way. We've had to replan and, and re-strategize and, and rethink and, and come up with a new way. So instead of giving up, Paul says, I can't, I'm not giving up. Ah, do we have people who are not giving up in this house? I'm not giving up. I'm going to stay with it. I'm going to use another strategy. I'm going to take a breather again. But moving on, I am moving on. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? So we said, what, 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 do you, what should you do when Satan is trying to hinder you? We said there are seven things we should do. Number one, put up a fight of faith. I'm doing a recap here. Number two, remember that the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Number three, don't cast away your confidence. Am I going too fast? Number four, keep your words in check. I'm going to come back to all those. Don't worry. Number five, protect your soul from being weary. Number six, hold on to your vision. Be led by your vision instead of being pushed by circumstances. Number seven, decide to be a finisher. So let's go back to number one. Number one, we said, put up a fight of faith. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. Can you say it with me? Fight the good fight of faith. Can you be alive, please? Can you say it with me? Fight. Let me hear you again. Fight the good fight. Say it like you believe it. Say it like your life depends on it. Fight the good fight of what? Now, some of you read just the first word that said fight, and you went out fighting everybody. <laughs> Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. Now, watch this, Barcelon. The life of faith is a fight. Thank you for your enthusiastic, half-hearted amens. I don't know if it's that. The life of faith is a fight. 
And if you're not willing to fight the good fight of faith, you will always be shortcharged. If you thought becoming a Christian meant a problems-free life, wrong, son. Becoming a Christian is not a problems-free life. In fact, sometimes you get more problems because you became a Christian. But even if the problems come, we are more than conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6 verse 16 says to us, above all, when it talks about the armor of the Christian, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. Huh? Every fiery dart of the wicked one. In other words, it gives us a picture of Satan who's firing darts at you. And these darts are darts, arrows that have been lit. They've got fire at the back. And he is, he is, he is aiming in your direction and firing them in your direction. And the Bible says, the only shield you have there is your shield called faith. If you take up that shield and you put it in front of you, that shield will quench. You know what it means to quench? To quench means hutima. It will extinguish not just some, not just a few, but every fiery dart of the wicked one. Can I hear an amen? Which means for every attack that Satan throws your way, you will come out stronger. For every dart Satan throws your way, you will quench it and you will put it aside. So the Bible urges us, fight the good fight of faith. Why is it important for us to fight for our faith, our belief of the word of God, our belief in what the word of God says? Number one, the Bible tells us we cannot be saved without faith. We cannot be saved without faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself it is the gift of God so if you don't you can't be born again you can't be saved without faith the Christian life demands a walk of faith faith is simply believing what God says in his word believing what the word of God says and being daring to act on what the word of God says that's faith Believing what God says, that God is true and every man a liar. What the word of God says is true more than anything else. Number two, the second reason we must fight the good fight of faith is that faith, the Bible says, must be the lifestyle of the believer. It must be the lifestyle. Bazalana, that's why you are called a believer. Tell your neighbor, I'm a believer. Tell your other neighbor, I'm a believer. Tell the other neighbor, I'm a believer. Now, how can you be a believer who's not believing? You can't be an unbelieving believer. So if you are a believer, you must be believing. So believing or faith is the lifestyle of the believer. Romans 1.17 says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as this is written, that just shall live by faith. So we need to learn to exercise faith in everything we do. 
Exercise faith in your finances. Exercise faith in your spiritual walk. Exercise faith in your career. Exercise faith everywhere you go. Yeah. When you have plans and whatever, exercise faith. We opened the 7 o'clock service by faith. We were exercising faith. Yeah. When you have faith, you will go where others are afraid to go. You will do what others are afraid to do. Can I hear an amen? amen? Faith must be the lifestyle of the believer. Number three. Without faith, you cannot please God. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith, Read it with me. But without faith, it is what? 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 It is? It is? What does impossible mean? Yeah, what does impossible mean? Huh? What does impossible mean? Eh? Eh? Never. What does impossible mean? Let me hear you. Let me hear you. What does impossible mean? Eh? Impossible means, I don't know what it means that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It will never happen. It says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Note what it says. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So it means if you come before God in prayer and you don't have faith in your heart, it's impossible to please God. You can't get God's attention. In fact, there's a minister who was called Smith Wigglesworth. They called him the apostle of faith. This man walked in faith. This is the statement he used to make. It was an amazing statement. He said, God will pass over a million people just to get to one person who has faith in their heart. You want me to repeat that? God will pass over a million people just to get to one person who has faith. Tell your neighbor, that one person is going to be me. It's going to be me. Yeah. So faith, therefore, is what we use to please God. When we come to God, God wants us to come with a heart full of faith. Number four, you cannot resist the attacks of the devil without faith. You can't. Ephesians 6, 16, we just read it. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are, you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So faith is a shield. So when you walk by faith, you'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Number five. I love this one. Faith gives substance to our hope. Hebrews 11:1 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hopeful. This is what it means. Hope is a dream. Hope is a favorable expectation. Now, when you have a vision, when you have a dream, that vision, that dream is in your heart, it's in your mind, it's not reality yet. Faith is what transports that vision. From your heart, from your mind, into reality. So, you all know, if you're going to succeed in life, you have to start doing something about your dream. If you're thinking of a business, you must get a place, you must rent a place, you must buy stock, you must register the stock. But the Bible says, if you do all of that with faith in your heart, 
Faith is what will take your dream and turn it into reality. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So faith gives substance to what we hope for. Listen to one translation. The Moffat translation says, faith means we are confident of what we hope for, convinced of what we don't see. Another translation says, faith is giving substance to things that we hope for. Number six, faith helps you to fight a good fight. 1 Timothy 6, 12. When you are a man and a woman of faith, you'll fight a good fight. In other words, you are going to keep your faith, hold on to your faith. When David went to Goliath, when he challenged Goliath, he had faith in his heart that God will keep his word. So he stood against Goliath, not because he could match Goliath pound for pound. But he knew that the one in whom I believe is bigger than Goliath and stronger than Goliath. So when you have faith, you can fight a good fight. Number seven, faith will help you to live as a world overcomer. 1 Timothy 5, 4 says, but whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. Then it says, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Even our faith. It's our faith that makes us to be world overcomers. Hallelujah. Number eight, when you pray in faith, all your prayers will be answered. Matthew 21, 22, Jesus says, and whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. So if you go to God with a heart full of faith and you believe, you will receive. There are people who pray just Hosama. Kuriki last resort. God says, no, stop zamming. Start believing. Tell your neighbor, stop zamming. Start believing. Tell them, stop zamming. Start dumeling. Yeah. Number nine. When you exercise faith, you will turn around bad conditions that have afflicted you for many years. The woman with the issue of blood. Twelve years she had an issue of blood. But when she heard about Jesus, she came and touched the hem of his garment. And when Jesus turned back to her, he said to her, daughter, thy faith has made you whole. What I like about faith is that it doesn't matter how many years, how long things have not been working. It doesn't matter how long you have been sick. It doesn't matter how long things have not been going the right way. When you start believing God, I see God turning things around in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me give you some practical things now. How, can the, how then can we maintain a strong faith? How can we do it? Number one, you need to know the integrity of God's word. In other words, know that God's word is true. God's word will not lie. Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is quick and powerful. The word quick means alive and living. So this means the word of God should be of foremost importance in your life. Pazalana, choose first the word of God. Choose first what the word of God says. Don't go to the word of God as a last resort. 
Put the word of God first. Let the word of God be important to you. The same way people who are watching on television, people who have logged on, you've come to church and other people are streaming from somewhere. To us, this is important. Maybe other people, to us, the word of God is important. I mean, I was looking at people in the seven o'clock service. They had to be here. That's nice and early, isn't it? But don't forget, yeah. So it means the word is important. And I found out whatever is important to you, you will make a way for it. Yeah. Number two, have the spiritual discipline of habitually listening to the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Never underestimate the discipline of listening to the word consistently. There's something about listening to preaching, listening to the word of God, that your faith will be built up more than anybody else. But have it in your ears all the time. Have it in your car. Have it in your room. Have it in your bed. Have it everywhere. Listen to the word again and again and again and again and again. Thank God we have the podcast smoker again. Download them on your earphone, even when you are jogging. You know, be listening to the word as you are jogging there. Be listening to the word when you are at the gym. Oh, why little? You don't jog, you don't go to the gym. Listen to the word of God. Let the word of God surround you all the time. Number three, refuse to allow doubt, fear, or unbelief to make you uncertain of the promises of God. Don't allow doubt, fear, or unbelief to make you uncertain of the promises of God. Why? Because Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do? Has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Hallelujah. And finally, continually, Speak the word of God over your life. Speak faith-filled words instead of doubt-filled words. Mark eleven twenty-three tells us, Romans 8, 8 and 2 Corinthians 4, 13, we believe and therefore we spoke. Speak the word of God over your life. Whatever God says about you, speak it over your life. Even when the circumstances are opposing, speak it over your life. Even if your body doesn't feel like it, speak it over your life. Even if your situation seems to be going over the other way, speak it over your life. Jesus says, you will have what you say. You will have what you say. He didn't say you will have what you believe. He said you will have what you say. There are many people who are believing what's right in their heart, but they are saying what is wrong with their mouth. You will have what you say. Speak the word of God over your life. You know, I learned something years ago that I've practiced even in my prayer time now. That in part of my prayer time, I set aside like five minutes or ten minutes just to speak the word of God over my life. I never will forget, Bazalana, when I was working in a mailing room. In the early days when I was going to Bible school and financing my own studies. Working at Rama in the mailing room, not sure about my future, not sure about how things are going to turn out. 
You know when you are in that space, eh? Where you are just not sure how things are going to turn out. And I remember, because I used to arrive very early at work. I'd be there like an hour, an hour and a half before we started working. I used that time to study, but then I used that time also to pray. I remember every day for 10 or 15 minutes, I'd speak the word of God over my life. I'd speak that God will lead me and guide me. Because I'm in Bible school, I don't know which church I'm going to lead. I don't know which way I'm going to go. God will lead me and guide me. I'd say whatever church God will have me lead, it will grow. It will prosper. I spoke over my finances. I was in so much debt. And I said, God, give me wisdom concerning finance. Guide me and lead me. So that I can handle my finances the right way. And you know what I can say years later? I've watched each one of those areas turn around. Yeah. This was 1981, 1982. Thank you for your word. It's a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. The entrance of your word giveth light, brings understanding to the simple. I thank you that my life is in your hands. No weapon formed against me will prosper. No tongue raised against me will prosper i speak over my spiritual life my financial life i speak over my health i speak over my future my career i speak over every situation in my life you are not a man to lie you are not the son of man to change your mind i speak blessing according to the word of god I am blessed. I'm not cursed. I am prosperous. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Begin to pray in the Holy Ghost right where you are. Pray in the Holy Ghost.